you so much to all of those on the platform. Appreciate your labor in worship. Nehemiah chapter 12. I haven't preached a Thanksgiving in years. Amen. I was really looking forward to this, actually. I love the topic uh, at hand. Nehemiah chapter 12. I want to bring you there. Uh, one of the, oh, we have a testimony tonight. Where is she at? Raise your hand. There you are. Stand. Sorry. It's just that nobody else came to me and I almost forgot. So she's going to give a testimony tonight and bless us with something. Go ahead. You stand. That way everyone can recognize you and you can be embarrassed. All right. (laughs) Turn on the mic, please. Right? Do you have another mic now? Where's the other mic? We gotta have a mic. Gotta have a mic. Hi. Okay, got it. Okay, I'm Valeria. I'm 22 years old, and I've been coming for three years. Um, so for the first two and a half years that I was here, um, there's a lot of things that I, I didn't want to let go of. And I guess I thought like no one cared. Like I didn't really talk to anyone and I was okay with it. Like I thought that I could make it on my own. And I thought that everything I had done in my past was who I was. And I rededicated my life six months ago and God started dealing with me about a lot of things, but one in particular was that I had to start letting people see who I really was. And he started showing me that everything I had done wasn't who I was. So, you know, I started allowing people to see me like I was really transparent with people, and I didn't really even have to look for anyone. People started coming to me, a lot of women. And I just, I realized now that I'm not alone, and I have a family here, and I am so blessed to be part of this ministry, this fellowship, because there are so many people who genuinely care about me. I just had a surprise party last week to raise money for school, and I was just so amazed at how blessed I was that day. And, you know, I just want to encourage anyone who feels like this might not be the place for you and, like, no one cares, I want you to know that there are people there out here who do care, and you just need to surrender yourself to God, and he'll bring those people to your life. Yes, amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Nehemiah chapter 12. Uh, one headline reads, the election is getting people uninvited to Thanksgiving. We're living in a very divided nation. A divided time among people and among families. Now the ugly underbelly of jealousy and envy, of bitterness and hatred, of anger and resentment is such a prevalent part of so many people's lives and families. Maybe you can't relate to that, but this is something that is so evident in so many places in society today. And the devil would love nothing more than to make these the defining elements of the church. Now, as we're about to celebrate Thanksgiving, a national holiday, we need to assure that we're not celebrating it in hypocrisy. So let me take you back for a moment to the very first Thanksgiving, at least the one that we recognize, 1621. Pilgrims of the Mayflower had landed in a place that they named Plymouth. They already had an earlier aggressive, non-friendly encounter with the Indians in the land when they had landed further up coast before landing here at the place of Plymouth. In the process, sickness was taking them out, and over half of those that had come on the Mayflower had lost their lives in sickness. 
And so the hope that this voyage would end well was not very alive. Now, I want to note an attitude that was prevalent among these early, early settlers in America in spite of, and when I say hardships, they were serious hardships, and in spite of the negative elements. And there's a book called The Light and the Glory. It's a fabulous book. It'll take you from Columbus through these events and further into the history. And in this, it notes that these were not like other men. The more adversity mounted against them, the harder they prayed. Never giving in to despair, to murmuring, to any of the petty jealousies that split and divide. Which was contrasted to Jamestown, which I'll explain to you a little bit in the second point. As their ranks thinned, they drew even closer together and trusted God all the more. So the most powerful attribute they had going for them was this attitude of thanksgiving among them. As they got settled in and they made it through the very first harsh winter, they had lost over 40 people to sickness. They still had a lingering fear of Indians, yet they had not had another encounter to this point. One day they hear one among them yell, Indian! They look out as this tall, young Indian walks in right into their main tent. His name was Samoset. He spoke perfect English and he said to them, welcome. Well, they were unsure about this. All they knew of Indians was the aggression that they knew. He asked them for something to drink, which they didn't have at the time. So they brought him a meal of roasted duck, biscuits, pudding, and cheese And after that meal, they came to realize in conversation with him that this young Indian man was a godsend and would become instrumental in their survival in the new land. He taught them the way of the land. He taught them how to fish. He taught them how to plant corn and pumpkins and many of these survival techniques of the land The day came that the first harvest finally comes. I'm going to read to you a segment out of this book. This gives you a a little bit of a picture of this first Thanksgiving. So here the harvest comes. The pilgrims were brimming with gratitude. Not only to Squanto, now there were some other Indians involved, and the Wampanoags, which is the Indian tribe, and I probably didn't say it right, who had been so friendly but also to their God they had gratitude. In Him they had trusted, and He had honored their obedience beyond their dreams. So Governor Bradford declared a day of public thanksgiving to be held in October. Massasoit was invited. He was another Indian man. And he shows up unexpectedly a day early with 90 other Indians. As they counted their number, the pilgrims had to pray hard so that they didn't give in to despair because to feed such a crowd would deeply cut into their food supply that was supposed to get them through the winter. But if they had learned one thing through their travails, it was to trust God implicitly. As it turned out, the Indians were not arriving empty-handed. Massasoit had commanded his braves to hunt for the occasion. They arrived with no less than five dressed deer, more than a dozen fat wild turkeys. They helped with the preparations, teaching the pilgrim women how to make uh, cakes and tasty pudding out of cornmeal and maple syrup. Finally, they showed them an Indian delicacy, how to roast corn kernels in an earthen pot. It popped fluffy and white. We call it popcorn. The pilgrims, in turn, provided many vegetables from their household gardens. Carrots, onions, turnips, parsnips, cucumbers, radishes, beets, cabbage. Also using up their precious flour, they took summer fruits, which the Indians had dried, and introduced them to the likes of blueberry, apple, and cherry pie. It was all washed down with sweet wine made from the wild grapes, which was a joyous occasion for all. Between the meals, the pilgrims and Indians happily competed in shooting contests with gun and bow. The Indians were especially delighted that John Alden and some of the younger men of the plantation were eager to join 
them in foot races and wrestling. There were even military drills staged by Captain Stanish. Things went so well that Thanksgiving was extended for three days. Surely one moment stood out in the pilgrim's memory. William Brewster's prayer. As they had began the festival, they had so much for which to thank God for providing all their need, even when their faith had not been up to believing that he would do so, for the lives of the departed and for taking them home to be with him, for their friendship with the Indians, so extraordinary when settlers to the south of them experienced the opposite, for all his remarkable providences in bringing them to this place and sustaining them. What I want you to see is the unifying power of thanksgiving, and that really is the thrust of what I want to capture tonight. Not the holiday of thanksgiving, but the attitude of thanksgiving. Now, it's very notable to mention that when thanksgiving was established in America as a national holiday, It was under Abraham Lincoln in 1863 in the midst of a bloody civil war in America that Abraham Lincoln instinctively understood the only way to come out of this division and unite was under the banner of thanksgiving and gratitude. It had to begin with their attitude towards God and then with one another. And I want to preach a sermon tonight called The Choir of thanksgiving out of nehemiah 12 beginning in verse 31 i'm going to read and skip a few so just kind of follow along verse 31 so i brought the leaders of judah up on the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs one went to the right hand on the wall toward the refuse gate verse 38 the other thanksgiving choir went up opposite way i was behind them with half of the people on the wall going past the tower of the ovens as far as the broad wall, verse 40. So the two thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God. Likewise, I and half of the rulers with me. And then he mentions a bunch of priests that I'm not going to butcher their names. And we're going to go down to verse 43. Or the last part of verse 42. The singers sing loudly with Jezrahiah, the director, Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women, the children also rejoiced. So that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. The choir of thanksgiving. I want to first talk to you about the attitude that prevails. You know, gratitude and thanksgiving are very powerful dispositions of life. Now, this was the resolve that King David would come to time and time again when you read the Psalms. And he's in the midst of extreme circumstances, extreme difficulty and turmoil, times of relational conflict. And David would come, and many times you read his Psalms, and he would present his case before God. He's highly agitated. He would voice his fears He would voice his fight with envy or bitterness or resentment. And then he would always resolve. And the resolve was thanking God and highlighting God's goodness. Now there's another psalm that's attributed to King Hezekiah at Psalm 116. Here he is. He's lamenting the extreme hardship and His life has been under death threats. And he finally resolves in Psalms 116, 17. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And I will call upon the name of the Lord. And so what is presented to you and I is this attitude of thanksgiving. And what you see when you read the word of God. And even in your own experience of life. That when you choose the path of thanksgiving. It realigns your heart with God's goodness and with his divine sovereignty. And it keeps you with a right spirit. Because when you begin to sour with a complaining spirit or with an ungrateful heart due to hardships or life or the things that people maybe do to you. 
A thankful attitude will realign your heart with God. If you're ever off in your wilderness of complaining and your wilderness of disgruntledness or resentment of any sort, I can tell you right now, if you'll choose the path of thanksgiving, it will realign your heart. It's an attitude that prevails. In our text, Nehemiah's leadership instinct was this very thing. So if you read the entirety of the book of Nehemiah, you know they went through tremendous hardship. The project of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem were a very difficult task. There were many adversaries, and it wore on God's people, and it tested the unified resolve of God's people. Nehemiah no doubt understood the prevailing attitude of thankfulness. And as an end result, he appoints this choir of thanksgiving. That really captured me when I was looking for a text for this sermon, this choir of thanksgiving. And all that they would do is sing of all of God's goodness, give thanks in the midst of God's people. This was their whole appointed purpose. You know, you ought to have somebody appointed for that in your home. When you start going down that road. Would the choir of thanksgiving please come out? This would set a climate and a particular attitude in the assembly. And this is an attitude and a climate that we need in all that we do from the church to our home. We need this attitude of thanksgiving. Now the word of God promotes this. And one of the scriptures that first came to mind was Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. So let me say a couple of things here. First is, a lot of the anxiety that people experience is linked to a lack of a thankful heart. And and you say, well, what do you mean? Because we can get so caught up in what God's not doing and what bad things are happening and and all the pile of rubbish around our lives that, that we're not thanking God at all. And it produces these enormous amounts of anxiety. And the Bible says that when you come in thanksgiving, the peace of God becomes your portion. Think about that. And the other element here is that this scripture is promoting an attitude of thanksgiving, and it goes way beyond the problems you may be facing or the difficulties that life has served up. But this is an attitude that is linked to who God is, and that is that God is always good no matter what. Do you know that? God is always good no matter what. God is always in control, even if you feel like things are out of control. God assumes the throne of heaven and earth at all times. But when we lack in thanksgiving, it's an indictment against our view of God. We lose view of the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God and God's in control element. And something more to understand that this attitude of thanksgiving is a command. Think about that. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So, so this puts thanksgiving in a, in a really high profile place. This is the will of God. That you would embrace and encompass this spirit an attitude of thanksgiving and that understanding it transcends the problems of life, the offenses of life, the hardships of life. We all can, you know, start saying how, why or justify our complaining or justify uh, bitterness or justify resentment, but God says it's not justifiable. If you will embrace an attitude of thanksgiving, you won't embrace these other things. So, So having said that, Let me talk about the tension points at work. It all sounds great coming over a pulpit, but it's not so easy all the time. 
And one of the reasons is there's this ugly side of humanity that we have to look at, beginning in our own hearts. If you've been keeping up at all, there's been an appalling offspring from our recent election. There are many, many tension points at work in society right now. And what is fomenting and being spewed out through media, through organizations, through college professors, through many of the everyday working class of America, Hollywood elites, is divisive, hateful, bitter, racism, and nasty, nasty accusations and slander. I mean, it's off the charts right now. It's totally off the charts. And this has produced some very strong tension points in our nation. If President-elect Trump and his advisors cannot effectively address these tension points, it can literally ruin our nation. Follow me, because when Nehemiah set out to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, a very demonically inspired element came out against them. This began sowing agitation among God's people and threatened the progress of finishing the wall. The unity of God's people under Nehemiah was actually their strength, and that's the reason that they were able to finish this wall in such amazing fashion. Because of the unity that was among them. But this unity was under threat. The devil had set out to destroy that strength. And divide the people. And agitate them one against another. As they became weary. As they begin to look and see all the problems around them. And they begin to speak. You ever wondered why? And some of you already concluded. But you ever wondered why Joshua told the people. Don't say a word for seven days. Because the minute their mouths began to speak, they were going to start complaining and bellyaching and saying all the things that would disqualify any faith at work. So this is the tension point that is against Nehemiah and the people. And how many know that strategy has not changed one bit? That's still the strategy of hell that he uses against the church of Jesus Christ. He, he bombards to try to bring dysfunction and disunity. Now, this was a real problem among the members of the Corinthian church. This was one of the identifying problems. In 1 Corinthians 14, 26, Paul says, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. The unity of that church was threatened by the promotion of their own agenda each promoting self-interest above that of others. Uh, It was so much about self that that they'd forgotten that everything we do is supposed to be for the big picture of the body of Christ. How does this affect the body of Christ? I know we don't like to have to think like that because it makes us a little more accountable for our actions. How does what I'm doing, how does how I'm acting, how does what I'm speaking affect the entirety But they weren't thinking that way in Corinth. And then Paul had pinpointed this earlier in his letter to them in 1 Corinthians 3, 3 and 4. For you're still carnal. For where there are envy, strife and division among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, another says, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? So there were all these dividing lines. The devil had infiltrated that congregation and, and he had ex- accessed the carnality of their hearts and the offspring of that was all these dividing lines and people taking this side and that side. And when you read James, as James weighs in, th- th- listen to what he says. He weighs in on the topic and he gives us particular wisdom and insight to the nature of all of this. James chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, 
and demonic. Why would he have to say that? Because, you know, people can get on a tangent of their own agenda and think that somehow they're hearing from God, but it's contrary. He says, no, you need to identify this. This is not from heaven. This is sensual, earthly, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Then, listen, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. In other words, it doesn't always have to be you winning out. Full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. So he's nailing down the origins of these things. that They're demonically inspired. They come through the carnal nature of men. And they're meant to disrupt the unity of God's people. The unity of marriages. The unity of, of, of age groups in the church. And remember what Paul said that's so important. Let all things done be done for edification. The NIV says... All these must be done for the strengthening of the church. There's so many people come to church, that's the last thing on their mind. Last thing on their mind is, well, what about the church? No, it's what about me? That's earthly. That's sensual. That's carnal. So the earlier voyage to America... That settled in Jamestown self-destructed. Those settlers too succumbed to much sickness and disease. But there was another side to their unraveling. And that is that they were ravaged with greed. The reason that the uh, Indians were hostile towards the pilgrims at Plymouth. Was because when the Jamestown people had come. They had lied to the Indians. The Indians came. They wanted to befriend them. They brought them aboard the ship thinking that they were going to uh, connect together. And they shackled them and sold them into slavery. So the Indians were bitter with the white men. And so those at Jamestown unraveled within themselves, within their own ranks. It was ravaged with envy and bitterness and greed. And they lost any sense of gratitude and thanksgiving Due to their hardships. They didn't, none of them survived. So this second group that landed at Plymouth. They had a particular distinction. And history, history records of them. Quote. They had borne all cheerfully. In other words everything that happened to them they took cheerfully. Never complained about their conditions. Or the food. Or the weather. They thanked God for the merest of blessings. And I, I challenge you to read this part of the history of America and the early settlers to, to see what it really meant that they went through. And that it didn't matter one of the slightest things, the sunshine today versus uh, the clouds and the snow, they thanked God for it. The merest of blessings. And this was the unifying element among them. It was this powerful attitude of thanksgiving. You never found them grumbling and murmuring against one another. They had each other's backs. At the end of the day, they resolved whatever tension points they had. Now, these were Christians. These were Christians, very powerful Christians. And as a result, it kept them together. It kept them strong and able to rely on one another. They didn't allow the difficulties of life, the twists and turns of their fate, or the differences among them ever to become a point of conflict. They always turned back to thanksgiving again and again and again. You know, a lack of gratitude will always lend towards some attitude or emotion taking its place. If it's not going to be thankfulness, it's going to be something. Usually that something is not a good alternative. It pollutes relationships, pollutes ministries, pollutes marriages because it's self-seeking, it's jealousy, 
It's envy. It's bitterness. It's anger. It's hatred. It's resentment. It's grudges. If it's not thankfulness, it's going to be one of those. So let me then close with thankfulness that produces unity. You know, the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem was a powerfully unified endeavor. Here's another piece of reading I would challenge you to read, Nehemiah 4, because Nehemiah 4 spells out the powerful unity, how God moved among them and for them and through them as a unified people. And the capstone on all of this is in our text. Nehemiah points this choir of thanksgiving. This is a powerful picture. This declares that this will be our demeanor and attitude going forward. It will be a thanksgiving. It will put God in the center and seek to do what is in God's best interest and not in ours. And you know, when the Bible directs our hearts, you know, you want to resolve your marriage problems and just put God in the center and not your agenda. It's that simple. But it's not, is it? Because you have such a hard time dethroning yourself. But that's what the declaration was. A point, a choir of thanksgiving. And from this day forward, it will be the attitude that will prevail. That of thanksgiving. And it was said of these early pilgrims at Plymouth that they had shared the love of Jesus Christ in a way that only happens when people are willing to suffer together in his causes. You know, the first sign of decay is when bickering or complaining begins to be elevated in relationships, marriage, ministry, or church. So let me ask you tonight, will you join the choir of thankfulness? We're starting a a new choir in the church. It's open. You don't even have to know how to sing. Thank God. (laughs) That could be dangerous. But anyway, a choir of thankfulness. We're looking for members signing up immediately at the altar tonight. Those that will thank God for his church in spite of all its imperfections. And guess what? You don't have to have one spiritual bone in your body to point out the imperfections. I know you think you're the most discerning spiritual of all because you can see all the problems of the church. It takes zero spirituality to point that out. But can you thank God for the church in spite of the imperfections? How about thanking God for all of his people in spite of the differences in personality conflicts? How about thanking God for your spouse in spite of maybe the water that may be under the bridge in your marriage? Instead of always bringing it up, every fight, you're going to bring it back up. Well, that'll certainly heal your marriage. That's going to get you really far. Thanking God in spite of what your economical situation may currently be. Thanking God in spite of any sickness or long-standing hardship you may be facing. Thanking God that He saved us. Regardless of how difficult your path of salvation may have been. The choir of thankfulness. Because here's the unifying attitude. You want unity? Choose thankfulness. Choose gratitude. Because this is what keeps us all heading in the same direction and staying connected relationally. Without this, we're prone to the divisive attitudes of jealousy and envy, bitterness and hatred, anger and resentment. And yes, they are just as bad as they sound. So let me finish by reading you Psalms 100 to put an exclamation point on the sermon. Psalms 100, 1 through 5. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people. And the sheep of his pasture. 
enter into his courts or into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. That's powerful. You know, to celebrate this Thanksgiving in its original form, you must join the choir of Thanksgiving. Because if you don't, you're in danger of celebrating Thanksgiving in hypocrisy. I know that sounds bad, and it is bad. But it's true. And along with this comes a commitment to the unity of the brethren. That I will foster in my heart an attitude of thanksgiving and avoid the attitudes that are contrary to keep a pure heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. doesn't mean you'll have, never have your moments. doesn't mean every waking moment. But I'm talking that that's what you choose again and again and again. You choose for thanksgiving. And I will be thankful not only towards my God, but towards others. And this will produce the power of of unity in thanksgiving. I was amazed. I was so engulfed in this chapter as I was reading this afternoon and just catching the spirit off these pages of these early pilgrims and how powerful that this was and and what thanksgiving really means. And when Abraham Lincoln said, we're going to do it as a nation, it's because he was watching the blood of Americans shed by the blood of other Americans uh, over divisive issues. Uh, He said, enough is enough. It's time to choose Thanksgiving. And if you are in a feud with one of your brethren or or shedding the spiritual blood within the ranks of your God's people, I would say enough is enough. It's time for Thanksgiving. It's time to join the choir of Thanksgiving at this altar. Amen. With every head bowed, every eye closed. You're here tonight. You're not right with God. You know, this world is such an absolute mess. It is an absolute disaster. I mean, it is just unbelievable to watch the unfolding of Hatred and racism and every sort of division and bitterness and the things that are coming out of people's mouths and they dare to print them and put them on television. You know, that, that's what we're up against. If you're not a Christian, that's, that's, that's what you're up against. How are you going to fight those feelings on your own terms within your own ranks of your family or your marriage or your siblings Or the violations that have happened to you in life that have maybe embittered you and hardened you. You know what makes a difference? It's the love of God. That's what makes the difference. That's what changes. That's what penetrates. It's the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. That produces an amazing attitude of gratefulness and thankfulness. There's some people, honestly, they have nothing to be thankful for in life. They're just angry people. But that can change in a moment of time when you'll accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you may be here tonight and you're not right with God. You're certainly not in the choir of thankfulness. God wants to help you dissolve those things that are eating you up alive. Those attitudes, those emotions that are entrenched in you. That are holding you bondage and captive. You can be so free in a moment of time by accepting first the forgiveness of God, asking to forgive you. Because, you know, outside of Christ, we've we've offended God. We offend God. Our lives outside of Christ, trying to do it our way and living in our sin, that offends God. But you know what? God is willing to bypass the offense and receive you tonight. You're here and you're not right with God, but you're ready to get right. You're ready to dissolve all of those nasty things that have been boiling over in you for some for a long, long time. You're ready to get those right and get your heart right. And and you know what you'll, you'll have? You'll have the 
peace of God. It doesn't mean all of life gets better all of a sudden, but something in you gets better. Something in you gets better. and You're ready for that. And I want to ask you if you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ, to surrender to the Almighty God. Do it God's way. Repent of your sins. Ask Him to forgive you. He can have everything I'm talking about. And if that's you, I want, I want you to do something for me. I just want you to lift your hand up so I can see it. Acknowledge it just so that I can acknowledge and pray with you tonight. That, that's me. You know what? I'm not going to be carrying the fronts anymore. That's where I'm living. It's true. That's my heart. But I'm tired of that being my heart. I want it to be right. And I want God to help me. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand so I can see it. I want to acknowledge that. Simply say a little prayer for you. Who would that be all across this place? God's dealing with you. Heart's not right with God. Worst thing that could happen is you could die in your sin and for eternity be separated from God. It's the last thing God wants. You have to make a choice tonight. You have to choose the path you're going to walk on. It has to begin with Jesus Christ. And you're here and that's you. You're ready to surrender to Christ. Give your life to Jesus. Ask Him to forgive you. You say, that's me. Would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? Just lift your hand up. Simple prayer. Anybody here all across this place, you may be backslidden. You're not right with God, you, but you know what it means. You've been there, you've lived it, but you're not tonight. And you're ready to come back. Lift your hand. God's dealing with you right now. God's drawing you to Himself. Come to Jesus. Uh, come back to Christ. Uh, lift your hand up. God's dealing with you. Who would that be? All across this place, very quickly. Okay, listen. Talking to the church. This altar call is a call to join the choir of thanksgiving. The devil will always tamper with relationships. He will tamper with the unity of God's church. The only reason he's able to do it, Paul said, is because of carnality. He accesses our carnality. Because in our carnality, we're not doing the things that the Word of God commands us in order to keep the unity. It's all about self-preservation. It's not about God's church. It's not about the big picture and how it does affect people. No, it's about me. What about me? Well, who cares about you if you're not going to think about the big picture? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's a lost cause if that's going to be your position tonight. It has to be about the church of Jesus Christ. It has to be, if you're the man of your home, about your family. It has to be. So stop picking all those fights and sticking to your side and, and, and start to sign up for the choir of thanksgiving and, and bring that attitude into your home and dissolve the tension points and dissolve the bitterness and the unforgiveness and the need that every time you get in a little spat to throw that back at your spouse every single time. Dissolve that. Resolve it. Choose thankfulness. Choose gratitude because that is the unifying disposition tonight. It's a powerful thing I'm talking about. Because you can't have both. And I'm not talking about thankfulness just on your little terms. and your, I'm talking about thankfulness on every turn, on every front. For those you like and don't like. To God in the good, the bad, and the ugly times. Because that was the disposition of these early settlers. And that's what we're about to celebrate tomorrow. And if we celebrate Thanksgiving and don't get our heart right with others, we're celebrating it in a hypocrisy. Because the true meaning of it is what I'm telling you tonight. And you say, oh, what do I? Well, just come to the altar and get it right with God. Just come to the altar. Make a resolve. Sign up for the choir of thankfulness. And that's what this altar is for. And we're going to stand to our feet. And we're going to come and make our way to these altars. We're going to touch heaven tonight. And God is going to touch your life. Oh, Father, we give you praise. We thank you for the faithfulness of your word. For your abundant grace, your long-suffering towards us. God, we thank you for your word tonight that deals with us, that exposes our hearts, Lord. God, forgive us. We're holding grudges. 
God, forgive us for all resentment, all murmuring, all complaining. Everything that does not represent a thankful attitude. Becoming discontent. Lord, our contentment is in you tonight. Because you're our portion. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, help your people tonight. Lord, minister at these altars the power of your word. God, break through. Let the peace of God flow down. God, as you hear the confession right now, peace of God would flow down. Lord, you begin to mend the breach that is in marriages here tonight. Lord, you begin to mend the breach that's in relationships here tonight. We choose thankfulness. We choose gratitude. And we stand against everything that is contrary that tries to infiltrate our hearts. Infiltrate our attitude and our emotions. God, we recognize that it is not of God. Oh, God, we thank you. We worship you and honor you, Lord. Praise and bless your holy name, God. Lord, who are we to hold any grudge, any resentment whatsoever? God, you forgave us of everything. Who are we? Who are we? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We worship you and honor you. I know this may sound a little superficial, but if you want to join the choir of thanksgiving, I want you to stand to your feet tonight. If you want to join the choir of thanksgiving, why don't you stand to your feet? What we're going to do together is we're going to offer praise, a praise of thanksgiving. We're going to touch heaven tonight. Tomorrow, wherever you're at and whoever you're celebrating with, it's going to be with a pure heart. And you may very well be really nervous about your day tomorrow because you may have to face people that <laughs> are a real agitation to you or people that have violated you. But you know what? You're going to go in a new spirit. God is going to help you. God is going to help you. Lift your hands with me. And I want you to offer to God thanksgiving tonight lift your voices father we thank you in this place jesus we worship you and honor you we are so grateful tonight for that cross you died on lord oh we thank you lord for the church of jesus christ we thank you for the forgiveness of sins lord oh god we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor we magnify your holy name god Cleanse us, Lord God, uh, of everything that is contrary to thanksgiving. Uh. Oh, my Lord, we worship you and honor you. We thank you and magnify you, Lord. I thank you for the brethren, Lord. I thank you for every member of the church. I thank you, Lord, for the goodness of God, the blessing of God. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, that you've been faithful in every season of life. Hallelujah, Lord and Savior. He called me a rabba, sanda, rabba, sebe, kio, roche. 
Glory and honor and praise to you, my Savior. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I'm not trying to minimalize what some people are going through or things people have been through, but but you know that is the word of God. That is what Jesus did for us. Amen. And so we need to really go rejoicing. And you know what? It's human. The human side's there, and it's going to be tempted at some point in the next 24 hours to go the other direction. You're going to say, No, 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 no. I'm in the choir of Thanksgiving. You know what you're going to do right then and there? You're going to choose thankfulness. And you're just going to begin to thank God and rejoice. Forgive whatever you need to forgive. And I'm telling you, you're going to start living a new existence for Christ. It's not going to be this up and down affair. Because you're going to get dominion. And you're going to, you're going to squash out one of the devil's favorite tricks. Cause unity among the, disunity among the brethren. Among families, among siblings, among husband and wife ministries we're going to choose thankfulness and there's power and unity in that right there amen thank god and i wish everybody a very happy thanksgiving as you go your way if you're able we're here at eight o'clock in the morning for prayer the best way is to start your day thanking god amen and then you go and enjoy yourself come back five pounds heavier and we'll all go running around the building and there's an outreach to the thanksgiving parade Meet in the foyer after prayer tomorrow with Paul Wonquist. And I have two special stacks of flyers for you already sitting there because I knew you were going to do this outreach. He does it every year. And so we appreciate Paul for that. Amen. And so if you want to go with him, great opportunity. Thanksgiving parade tomorrow right after. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's rejoice. Thank God. He is so good. He is so good. Amen. Let's bow our heads. We're going to rejoice. We're dismissing together. I'm asking if... Uh, Craig Cannon would lift his voice and just dismiss us tonight.